Welcome back to another episode of the Quantium Cast. I'm your host, Ryan Kier, and in a time where everybody is talking about options, to name specific names, COS, Fubo TV, AMC Theatres, and of course the big one that everyone's talking about right now, GameStop. It's likely that you've probably never heard of a gamma squeeze before. Maybe some have heard of a short squeeze. But before we go deeper into what we're going to talk about today, I think it's important we explain what a short is. You know, an investment where you think the price of a company is going to go up or even another asset like, let's say, a futures contract. You think it's going to go up, so you buy, you go long. Say you think the asset is overvalued, then you'd go short. That involves borrowing shares or contracts from somebody who holds an existing long in that company or commodity future or whatever. Let's say I own 10 shares of GameStop and somebody says, I want to short GameStop. So I tell them, okay, you can have my 10 shares, but I want my 10 shares back at some point in the future. When you go short, if the shares go to zero, you make 100%. But if the shares double or triple, you could risk losing much more than your entire investment. And it's also important to note that it's difficult to find shares that people are willing to lend out. Some are quote unquote sticky. If you're able to create that short position, then you've got to remember that there are also hidden fees, borrowing costs, as they call it, stock loan fees here on popular platforms like IG. The general trend is if a company is larger and its shares are actively traded to the point where it's quite liquid, you can sell shares or buy shares without moving the price with a large amount of size. Let's say FTSE 100 companies or S&P 500 companies in the US, UK's FTSE 100, of course, then it's likely that you can go short. And it's also likely that the fee, the stock loan fee, the cost of going short per year of you holding it is lower than things like GameStop right now at 30 or even 40%. With all the additional risks associated with going short a company's shares, why not just go long, avoid the risk of, say, overnight, a company gets taken over and you lose two, 300% because of a premium paid. Countless times have investors blown up trying to short companies, a war, a public war, the likes of Herbalife when Bill Ackman tried to fight Carl Icahn. Carl Icahn actually wasn't long the shares of Herbalife. Bill Ackman was short. He didn't have any options at hand. But Carl Icahn, he had calls. He'd bought calls at really high strikes. So when a short squeeze did happen, if it did happen, then he would stand to make a huge payoff. But for the legendary hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman, who's recently bounced back, hugely, I think his fund Pershing Square is at about 70% gross in 2020. But back when he was shorting Herbalife, I think he lost over 100% trying to short it on that particular position he had. He didn't blow up because it wasn't his entire portfolio. It's important to remember though, that even though Herbal Life shares exploded, Bill Ackman was wrong in terms of his investment decision. He was right about everything else. He was still willing to accept that he was wrong. Had he forgotten about his principles of risk management, the story of Pershing Square Capital would have been something drastically different today. Instead, it is still huge and one of the top performing hedge funds out there. Now that we've introduced the concept of shorting, it's probably important to also look at options. Now options, the easiest way to understand them, in my opinion, is to remember that there are four potential position types you can have. You can buy calls or you can sell calls. Essentially, you could go long calls or go short calls. Or on the other side, you can go long puts 
or go short puts. Now, what is a call? A call is the right to buy an asset at a future point in time, a specified date. So if you're buying a call, you're buying the right to buy. If you're selling a call, then you're selling the right to sell. So you're taking the opposite side of someone who's going long a call, someone who's buying the right to buy. You're collecting a premium instead of paying a premium, which people who buy calls do. If you're buying a call, say the price of something is $40 right now. Let's just say you think that the price of this particular asset is gonna go to $50 per share. It's at 40 right now. And you don't wanna go long because you'll have far too much exposure to make any money. But you're willing to put up, say, I don't know, $400 of your total portfolio. And there are calls and a strike of 45 going for that. Then you buy that. And if the price goes to 50, then you made $5. The premium you pay isn't the $5. It's based off the volatility and the likelihood of that working out. So you could be paying maybe $2 for that position. And if it works out, you make $5 net, 45, then to 50, you make a bit of money there. Notice when you're buying a call, you're taking a specific amount of risk. You're paying a premium. You can't lose any more than that total premium that you've put up. You can make an unlimited amount. Say if the shares go to, I don't know, 70 or 80, you can make a huge amount of money because at that time you paid a small premium when the price of this share was at $40. You bought the right to buy at $45. So you paid a couple dollars, let's say two, and you made five if it went to 50. If it went 70, you make a lot more. You make 25 and, and so on as the price rises. So you take a certain amount of risk, a fixed amount of risk, but you have unlimited upside. Now we've talked about buying calls. What about selling calls, selling the right to buy? So let's say the shares are at $40 and somebody just bought that $45 call. That's the strike, the $45 price. Now you think it's impossible to go there. You can collect that $2 by essentially shorting that call. You get the premium in advance with that certain expiration date. But the problem is if you're wrong, and the price explodes above there, you risk an unlimited loss. Let's say it goes to 70, you sold those calls at $45, it goes to 70, it increases by $25. You collected $2 to sell that call, but now that you're wrong and you've held the whole way and it's risen $25, you now lose $25. But it's even worse than that, you don't just lose that $25, you lost the premium as well that you collected in the beginning. So remember, if you're buying calls, you're buying the right to buy at a later date and time. And you're not fully having all that exposure of, say, 20 shares at $40, $800 worth of exposure. Instead, maybe you're having $400 worth of exposure, but the higher probability of the move is there, and you can make a lot more money as well by playing options the right way. So you can buy calls, you can sell calls, you can also buy puts, the right to short something, essentially. So if the price goes from 40 to 30 and you're, you've already bought strikes at 35, if it goes from 35 to zero, then you collect 100% returns minus the premium you paid for that position. If you're selling puts, then you're selling the right to short. Essentially, you're collecting a premium, thinking that the shares are not going to go below a certain price. So let's say at 40, you sell puts at a 35 strike, you collect let's say a $2 premium, not too amazing, but if it's a high probability event, it's a large company with a historical level of momentum at a certain amount of price or something like that, 
there's a buying back program, whatever, whatever's going on. A stock's in a historical uptrend and it's just retracing and you're trying to take advantage. Whatever. By selling those puts, you're expecting the price of that asset to increase. If it does decrease, then you risk losing a lot of money. Think about the premium you paid if the shares go to zero, for example. Then if you paid a $2 premium for 35, what about the other $33 worth of moves that you could lose a lot of money on? if that happened. Now that we've took a little time to understand what options really are, because a lot of traders in the UK or investors in general, people who are just interested in the market as well, don't really know what options are because our markets aren't structured in the way that the US ones are. They don't normally have access. Well, I think CFDs are actually banned, contracts for difference. The opportunity for us to go short the physical shares or go long with a bit of leverage, they don't have that ability in providers over there. So they have to make use of options. So they can put less capital, make a lot of money, but also put up a bit of capital and lose a ton of money for what they're putting up. It's very risky, very volatile. It shouldn't normally be open to retail traders, but regulators try to get around this stuff by ensuring that there's negative balance protection. I'm not sure about that too much in the US, but in the UK, most retail brokers, IG, CMC and the likes, some form of negative balance protection. And that normally results on the broker taking a huge loss on its PL if a huge position goes out of hand. But now that we've understood options, it's probably a good thing to go on to explain what a gamma squeeze is. It's quite a complicated means, but to put it simply, if you buy a call option on a company like GameStop, we're going to move on to them shortly. So listen real close. GameStop, you buy that call option on them. You're buying the right to buy at a higher price. Somebody has to sell you that contract. Someone has to take the other side of the trade. It's a very simple transaction. And you give them that premium, the premium which you get the rights to buy at a higher price. If it doesn't go higher than that price, that strike price where you bought the call at, then your option expires worthless. You lose your premium. The seller of that option, basically the person selling the call, the one who collects the premium, takes that premium, walks away and there's no problems for them. Now these sellers, these people who take the opposite side of your trade are generally referred to as market makers. And what they do, if they're taking the opposite side of your trade, sometimes they have to do what you do, take a parallel position to hedge their exposure. Basically, they've taken a lot of risk, they need to make sure they're not taking that much. So what they would do is they would buy some calls just in case. And if the price rises above your strike price, remember, you would have to exercise that if, say, it gets to the point where it's past the date of expiration. Your calls expire. You have to buy them in the open market. You make some money. But remember, if they've hedged as well, they have to buy in the open market too. And those two things happening in a large amount of size at the same time can potentially increase the price of the shares so significantly to the point where when they took that sell side, they were essentially selling the calls, they were taking the opposite side of the trade to you. They now have to buy back their hedges. They have to buy what you got, your calls that expire. Now you wonder at this point, how much size is required to really move the market for a particular company or asset in general? Now, as we said, the market maker, the guys who are selling you that option, you're buying the right to buy. These guys are hedging in the market. So what they're doing is they're buying some of the physical stock that's pushing the share price up. Now, 
they buy an amount of stock based on the delta, which is in option trading, it's the ratio of how much an option price moves relative to a $1 move in stock. And gamma is the rate of change of that. So the rate of change of how much a stock moves relative to a $1 move in the stock. And as the delta rises and the gamma rises, the market maker gets nervous because they have to hedge more. They have to buy more stock in the open market or take that opposite position to what they have. So essentially, they are on your side by adding to your position, but not your exposure. They're simply buying more. And that pushes the shares up so much higher to the point where not only have we seen in GameStop shares a gamma squeeze, which is with the options, but we've also seen a short squeeze. A lot of institutions were invested on the shares going down to the point where they were borrowing more shares than were actually available, which is crazy. People were over leveraged on the long side, but the institutions were over leveraged on the short side. So when you had both those squeezes happening at the same time, shares of companies like GameStop, as a prime example, have exploded back in March 2020. Shares were $4. I think they were even as low as $2.80 in the COVID wave down. But as of a couple days ago, GameStop shares went as high as just under $400. There have been stories of people who bought shares around those levels or bought calls at much higher prices with relatively short-term expirations. And these people have made huge amounts of money. There was a story of a guy who turned $50,000 to something like $20, $30 million or so. Very impressive. And for somebody that had the patience to hold through that, that's very well deserved. Most of us would get our money and run once we get a, a couple bags here and there. We've seen many things like this in the past. We haven't seen such aggressive rises, though, with respect to a gamma squeeze and a short squeeze as well. Normally, you just see short squeezes. But here's the thing. Is it the company that people are buying into or is it the coincidence? There seems to be some facade of the little guy versus the big guy going on that seems to be fueling a large amount of speculation in this company's share price. Now, the problem is... It's not really the little guy versus the big guy. People are saying Robin Hood traders are the ones that are holding on. But the problem is Robin Hood sells your order flow to Citadel. Citadel is a major investor in Robin Hood. And Citadel gave an emergency liquidity injection into Melvin Capital. This was one of the hedge funds that suffered a huge blow from GameStop shares exploding. These guys were short. And it's just very ironic to see Robin Hood promote themselves as with the little guy. When in reality, Robinhood is involved with the bigger guys. And that's the reason why so many people stand to blow up. Because you're getting your order flow sold. That's how they make money. By using an options trading platform like Robinhood, you think that it's commission free. There's no issues for you. But in reality, your order flow is being sold to the bigger guy. And guess who stands to lose the most? Us. We don't win either way. When the eventual blow up happens... We're the ones left holding the bag. The big guys have escaped. Whether they were short and they lost money, they found a way to get around it. They flip long. Another squeeze occurs. More people start buying. We had a trade the other day on Fubo. Whilst it didn't work out, Fubo as a company, Fubo TV, the ticker symbol F-U-B-O, they have about 7 million in cash. They're a loss-making company in the hundreds of millions. Not a great balance sheet by any standards. And they're worth so many billions. What I'm watching closely for is how management responds to the share price action. So with AMC theatres, for example, it's an industry that might not be viable at all 
in the long term, given how things are changing with respect to COVID? Can we return to their capacity utilization that they need to make money? The airline industry, very likely so, but it's a slow process. Theatres, though, with the rise of Netflix and, and such pirated screenings, it's a bit difficult. What if AMC wanted to raise some money? Let's say they raise, I don't know, even 20% or 30% of their market cap. They'd have a bit of liquidity to maybe take a risk and not eventually die out. Now with AMC as an example, market value at the current moment of recording, this is the 1st of February 2021, they had a market cap of 6 billion US dollars. Let's say they raised 30% of that, that's 1.8 billion dollars. They lost that much in half a year, which is quite crazy, but at least it makes them live a little bit longer as opposed to a near bankruptcy filing. They had 600 million worth of warrants exchanged, those convertible options, I believe that's what they were. And those were dumped into the market against retail money. Institutional investors were getting out, retail money was stuck in and shares went to what, 17 earlier? Now they're at 13. Who knows what's next for them? Probably a crash back now. With GameStop, it's a little bit of a different story. Whilst their shares are down huge today as well, $96 is what they're down today. They're down to $230 per share right now. Market's still open, there's about half an hour left to go. Market cap at that $230 price is about $16 billion. Let's say they raise 30%. Let's say $4.8 billion. Their loss-making situation isn't that aggressive. They're losing about just under 200 million a year, worst case scenario, 200 million. So if they raise 4 billion or even 3, 2, 1 billion, they still have a lot of cash that could change the future of their business. If GameStop raised 1 billion, let's say, somebody suggested this on Twitter the other day, I thought it was a great idea. They raise a billion, they buy an esports team like FaZe, or they take a huge step into the online gaming market, the esports arena then that could be huge. Whilst it might even be an overpayment for them, it still gives them some form of foundation because traditionally GameStop was a dying business. The whole arena of GameStop, AMC, even Fubo TV is failing to integrate with the current market. But that doesn't mean that I'm saying these shares are going down. I don't hold a short position, nor do I hold a long position on any of the companies I mentioned today, GameStop, AMC theaters, Fubo TV costs, and so on. But with companies like Fubo, they have huge short interests out there. In fact, if anything's likely to squeeze, it's probably them. If they doubled or tripled from now's prices, I wouldn't be surprised. Whilst I wouldn't go long, because I feel that there's an impending liquidity issue, they're going to run out of cash anytime soon. There should be a fundraise. If they're smart, they'll raise funds. It will deteriorate shareholder value one way or another. But if you can raise funds, you can ensure survival. Fubo TV wasn't dying. They were just running out of cash. They could probably raise more or whatever. GameStop wasn't dying as much as AMC was. Out of all the companies we mentioned, AMC is in the worst position. They were losing huge amounts, even with government support or whatever. But with GameStop, if they raised a billion, there actually would be some attribution of value in the future. Dare I say it, GameStop might actually present some form of investment returns for a long-term holder if they do raise that money. But still, $16 billion is quite a large valuation. In terms of its comparison to peers, that is out of the question. Its short interest is reducing, so that squeeze effect is running out. 
people have been blown up, essentially. But I don't know what's going to happen next, that's for sure. But it is an interesting story to talk about. I've been your host, Ryan Kier of quantumresearch.co.uk. I hope this podcast has been somewhat informative. And I'll catch you all soon on a future episode. Until next time.